Mark Evans, and you're listening to Marketing Spark. Depending on your point of view, content is king. For many B2B marketers, content is a core element of the marketing mix to attract, educate, engage, and nurture prospects and customers. And over the past two years, it has been fascinating to see many companies embrace content marketing at a time when they couldn't attend or sponsor conferences. To get some perspective on the content marketing landscape and where it's heading, I'm excited to talk to Brooklyn Nash, a content marketing strategist and consultant. Welcome to Marketing Spark, Brooklyn. Hey, thanks for having me. As someone who has been immersed in the content marketing landscape and the content marketing business for many years, what's your take on what's been happening over the last couple of years as more and more brands try to embrace the value of content? Is it exceedingly crowded? Has it improved? Has it changed? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed. I think time will tell how how it all shakes out. Um, but I think it's what I've seen the last like eight years, I guess now it's been, that's weird, is um, kind of these like cycles of a major focus on one area of content marketing that becoming somewhat overcrowded and then a moment of differentiation where somebody tries something new. Um, and I'm sure that's been happening long before I was working <laughs> working in this field. So, I mean, when I first started, on, started out uh, in content marketing, SEO was still top of top of priority list for pretty much anybody, not just in content marketing, but marketing in general as a way to get get audience in the door, right? And it's still obviously a very important part of the marketing mix, getting top of funnel taken care of. But I think more and more marketers are starting to realize that you can get a lot more out of content than just driving somebody to your site with uh, 17 ways to do XYZ type article and then try to convert them real quick with a, a flashy CTA button or that free trial button up top. I think it, I think folks are starting to focus on content that has more longevity and that 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 is more grounded in where buyers are really coming from, instead of just as a top of funnel mechanism for getting some some conversions that you can then feed down the funnel. There's a lot of different directions we could go there. One of them is SEO. As someone who has spent years writing and not so much focused on the SEO side, what's the balancing act between SEO optimized content, content written for SEO purposes, and content that's simply written to provide insight and value? It's a, it's a bit of a balancing act because obviously you want your content to rank, mm -hmm. but you don't want to write for robots. You want to write for people. What's your take on this? Yeah, I think I think the key is in seeing SEO as for what it is. I mean, search engine optimization. It's a tactic for a specific channel of content marketing. It's not a replacement for a content marketing strategy. So you can you can form a, a, a well thought out content marketing strategy that, in many cases, includes a heavy focus on SEO. Whether it's because you have a low ACV and, and folks, you want lots of folks coming in the door. You don't really need to qualify them all that much. They can sign up for a, a free trial or it's a $7 entry point like Ahrefs, um, Ahrefs trial, right? Or it's a freemium model, whatever it is. You just want lots of people coming in the door. So SEO makes a lot of sense. But it's, it's still just going to be a piece of 
the content marketing puzzle, right? Um, so I think the difference, going back to your question, like the difference between the few is those those few options is you can you can create content that is primarily for SEO. Just try to put more thought into it than you would than maybe you would have like five, six, seven, eight years ago, where the listicles and the quick hit tips and all of that like worked really well. Um, and then on the other side, you can create content that isn't necessarily for search um, because the volume isn't there or it's very far in the weeds. So people aren't really searching for it if it's a new area or it's topical or whatever it is. But then you can still take the steps to make sure that it's optimized so that if there is some search volume around it or if that takes up or if you come back to updating it a year from now, it's in a good place in terms of distribution where search is actually a viable distribution channel for it. So I don't know that it should ever be an either or, but it's more about looking at what the purpose is of the content you're creating and deciding where to put most of your effort. It's interesting when you talk about the format of content and it has evolved, those quick hits, that link bait type of content. In some respects, people have moved away from it. What are your thoughts on short form mm -hmm. versus long term, long form content? So you talk to people or you listen to people like Neil Patel and they're advocating the value of long form content and the fact that it generates more traffic over time, if, especially if it's SEO optimized. But I often think of the fact that, yeah, long form content is great, but people have such short expansion spans. We've got ADD and we're bouncing from one task to another. Is there a role for long form content? And if so, how do you, how do you play it in the right way? It's a good question because it's a hard one to answer. And I think like a good marketer, I'm going to say it depends on what the type of content is. I think it, so people hear long form content. I think I'm going to, I'm going to assume most people are going to think of like the 5,000 word deep dive pillar guide to lead generation, right? Where it's A to Z, every, anything and everything you need to know about lead generation, for example. I don't know that that is serving its purpose like it once was. Um, you might be better served by splitting that out into a bunch of different articles and like glossary entries and treating it as a way to increase your own internal linking and kind of like spread the wealth around how you're how you're using the content let alone like re reusing it for that short form like social posts email that kind of thing but that said i think there is a place for long form content in the sense of we're talking about a fairly complex topic or uh, dealing with a large amount of research, ideally original research, and we need a good amount of space to talk through this in in depth, right? And that's when I think uh, you know a four, five, six, seven thousand word piece of content will will come into play. Um, so again, it depends on the purpose <laughs> of what you're trying to do. But there's like there's 350 word articles that are ranking for high volume keywords, you don't necessarily always need that 3000 word pillar page to, to rank for something anymore. One of the big issues facing companies that are looking to embrace uh, content marketing is whether they should do it by, whether they should do it in-house or whether they should use freelancers and contractors. 
There are mm. pros and cons to both approaches. Chris Walker, a very well-known high-profile marketer on LinkedIn, suggests that content needs to be done in-house because those are the people who truly understand the product and the customers. And there are people mm-hmm. on the other side who suggest that if you hire the right freelancer with the right skill set, they can do what they need to do to immerse themselves in the topic and the target audiences. Mm-hmm. As a freelancer, someone who obviously provides contract services to many companies, especially B2B companies, which way works best? And at one point in time, does a company need to have an in-house team versus outsource it? I'm in this weird place where I am a, a contractor and now building an agency, so I should be advocating for outsourcing work. But there's always going to be outsourced outsource work. Like uh, Marketing teams are always going to need help with any number of things, right? I will say, I think I mostly, I mean, I haven't, I didn't hear what Chris said exactly, but uh, I, I agree with that sentiment. I can't tell you how many times over the last year, been on a discovery call with a potential client, and I say something along the lines of, I'd love to be able to help you with that, or I can't, I could, I can help you with that, but not to talk myself out of work, but I think you might be better served by getting a full-time content marketing hire in place to work on that. And typically what I'm talking about when I say that is what, what it sounds like Chris Walker was talking about is getting the right strategy in place, talking to customers, collaborating very closely with product marketing to understand the pain points and the solutions that they're dealing with, uh, opening up conversations with partners. There's just so much that goes into content marketing before you publish a single piece I think all of those pieces are much better suited for an in-house role. And I tell potential clients that all the time. That said, I think you can, uh, with a, a well-formed content marketing strategy, you can be putting out a lot of content. Bottom of funnel to help with sales enablement, top of funnel with that scale and with volume around SEO or social or whatever it is, right? So I think that that's where agencies and freelancers can come into play. Um, but even then, I try to aim towards uh, engagements and contracts and projects where it's working more like a partnership and less like an outsourced task to be done, right? Because I'm looking for that insight that you were talking about and that Chris was talking about. I'm looking for the messaging. I'm looking for the value props and the buyer personas and the pain points and the customer interviews to really understand what the audience is thinking and what they need and where the gaps are. So if I can come in as an outside vendor and understand those elements, I'm going to put together much better content than if I get like a one-page brief that says, here's the topic, here's the audience, which is probably something vague and not super helpful and writing something up that way. I think aiming for that partnership as you work with outside contractors is going to benefit you the most. Yeah, I completely agree with the idea of a partnership. In fact, as a fractional CMO, you know, one of the things that I advocate when working with entrepreneurs and CEOs is that you have to create a collaborative partnership. You have to be engaged. You have to be aligned and on the same page. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So I think that's definitely the right approach. A question more, I guess, in tune with the services that you offer is how should brands hire freelance and contract writers. There are so many options out there. You can use Upwork or Fiverr or contract people via LinkedIn. 
and there's lots of other content marketing services and agencies, how should brands do their research? And once they've hired a writer like yourself, what are the keys to onboarding them successfully? A lot of questions. Uh, yeah, a couple of wrapped up in there. Um, I, I, I think no matter what kind of relationship it is, I think referrals are always going to be the best. I think that's, I don't know, I can't think of the specific stats around this, but like word of mouth is still the best channel for any firm of marketing, B2B or B2C. Um, and I think that's true for hiring freelancers and agencies as well. So I would just reach out to, if you're a large company, reach out to other teams and see who they're working with and if they have bandwidth and can move over or to people in your network, ask who they're working with and ask for referrals, post about it. If you have uh, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, just start asking. Um, there's a few sites that facilitate that too. You can look on, uh, it's more oriented towards freelancers, but the activity there is peak freelance. Super Path, which was started by Jimmy Daly, who was at Animals, a large agency before. Well, not a large agency, prominent agency, I should say. And that's very much more operating like a job board for both for full-time and freelance content marketers. So I, I would recommend those types of channels. Like if you're going to go on a board, something like Super Path, where it's tailored, it's more community-oriented, and it's less of a marketplace or job board like Upwork, um, I think you're going to see better results that way. One topic I should have asked you about before launching into hiring a contract or freelance marketer is your take on gated versus ungated content. It is a huge topic within the content marketing community mm -hmm. because brands are trying to do this balancing act between offering insight and value and collecting email addresses so they can follow up with them via drip marketing campaigns and other, other MarTech. Do you have any thoughts about what side of the fence that you play on or like and your thoughts about the role or the type of gated content that works these days, given so many content options out there? I mean, big picture, you're probably going to have to ask somebody much smarter than me to form an opinion on this one, just because there's so much that goes into it. Like you need to add, like, this is a marketing operations and a, and a, almost a RevOps question and like a CRO question, because the reason gated content is still a thing is because the vast majority of marketing teams are still beholden to their number one metric, MQLs, to get that they need to gate their content and then qualify them and then pass on right but ideally we're moving to this space where sales and marketing and every other team can be much more collaborative and marketing comes in as support at every stage of the funnel versus getting into mql stage and then passing it off but that's like i said that's like you need to talk to uh marketing ops or cro or somebody right all i know is my personal preference is and as a as a buyer is ungated and as a marketer, like some companies are putting together some really interesting pieces of content. And I would love to be able to access it. Number one, easily. And number two at all, if they do the thing where you have to use your company email address and then you're just wasting everybody's time because I'm putting, I'm having to take the time to put my info in. I get entered as a lead, even though I'm not a lead <laughs> in any remote sense. So I, I mean, I typically err on the side of advising my clients to ungate. If you do need to still, I still definitely understand the need for gating with how lead generation works and all of that. If you're going to gate content, I would say ungate 80% of 
everything, including the deep dives and the guides and all of that, and gate just a handful of uh, more of the tactical, um, in the weeds, personalized type content. So things like checklists, matrix, matrix, matrices, step-by-step questionnaires for self-ranking, things where you can take an ungated piece of content, like a, a guide to product analytics, for example. It's super in-depth and helpful. But then gate at the very end, one piece is, here's your questionnaire to decide at what stage of maturity you are with your product analytics, then I think you're serving best of both worlds. It's really interesting because I think a lot of marketers, as you suggest, are dependent on MQLs when it comes to assessing their performance. And if they're not generating those MQLs, if they're not getting the email addresses, that can be a problem. But I think part of the problem with gated content, where there are many problems, one is there's so much free ungated content out there. So any barriers to entry, people are going to balk at. The second is that once you provide an email address, you're essentially opening the doors for a tsunami of, of drip marketing. Is It just rolls in and rolls in. And I didn't ask for that. You can reach out to me once or twice. That's fine. But once you put me on a drip marketing campaign that is seem, seemingly endless, then you lose any brand affinity that you may have built up. So I think that's a, a, a reality these days. And we may have, as marketers, may have killed the golden goose by mm-hmm. by using MarTech to essentially talk to people until they capitulate. Okay, I give up, mm-hmm. I'll talk to you. Or many people just mm-hmm. turn off at, at all. So that's really, really interesting to me. I bet you, I bet 20 bucks, maybe more. I, like you ask any VP or d- demand gen director, somebody who looks at MQLs, I'll bet as MQL volume goes up, conversion to meetings held goes down. So why are we focused on volume of MQLs versus the right people at the right time? <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to attribution. It's mm. hard for marketers these days to do marketing and a lot of activity can't be attributed because a lot of it's in dark web and dark social. And as a marketer, your performance is assessed by how many leads we get, how much inbound we get, how much website traffic we get. When those are less reliable or you just can't see it, then it does create, puts a lot of pressure on marketers to justify what they're doing. So I think it's going to be a very interesting evolution in terms of how how content is delivered and how how companies connect with with prospects. A lot of the people that I talk with on this podcast have very engaged LinkedIn presences. One of the things that I noticed when, well, actually, one of the reasons I noticed you was that you are very active on Twitter. You're mm-hmm. very engaged and you use Twitter in, in a way that I use LinkedIn. Like you've made a huge investment. Clearly, you're, you're very engaged with prospects and customers. And I am curious about your embrace of Twitter. As a B2B marketer, a lot of us just gravitate to LinkedIn. Increasingly, mm-hmm. some of us are going to TikTok. Why Twitter? Yeah. How long have you been using it in that way? And can you maybe talk about your approach to using Twitter from a tactical perspective? Yeah, I've, I've gotten this question before, and I, I'm like, I well, I, when I have when I have a strategy, I'll let you know because I don't really have. Okay. One. I just have what what I what I do. I've only been on Twitter for about a year. Uh, but that's not, I've only been on LinkedIn before that, like two years. Um, so I kind of fell into the B2B social space by accident when uh, the startup I was working at, the growth marketer left. I was the head of content at the time. So I just kind of like 
wanted to fill in the gaps and he had been focused on social channels. So I started focusing on more on social channels and that was, that was the beginning of that a couple of years ago. Now Twitter specifically, I just uh, wanted to diversify is too fancy of a word, but I wanted to jump on a different platform besides LinkedIn. Cause I still, I mean, LinkedIn is still bread and butter, like where I post every day where I have most followers. Uh, but Twitter just felt fun, like a fun break from, Honestly, LinkedIn can be a little self-serious sometimes and Twitter can be a little overly snarky. So I feel like by being on both, you can balance the two, <laughs> balance yeah. the two out. So I just started posting more of the like the fun, silly, meme type stuff on Twitter. And then that has slowly bled back over <laughs> into, into LinkedIn. But I mean, I don't really have a strategy. My only strategy is like consistent posting daily, a few times a day at least, especially on Twitter. And then usually it's either, is it about freelancing? Great. No. If it's about freelancing or if it's about content marketing, then it's fair game. And then some like the broader like work-life balance and tech uh, stuff thrown in there. But that's about it. That and being proactive, I'll try to respond to comments and DMs and everything that's on there. On LinkedIn, there's a... there are vanity metrics. You can look at number of views, number of likes, number of comments, and it it's self-validation. More traction engagement you seem to get, the more motivation you get to post on LinkedIn. Twitter's a different a different beast. I mean, of course, there's retweets and there's likes. How do you assess how well you're doing on Twitter? What are the metrics that you look at, whether it's data metrics or just qualitative metrics? Do you do you look at it that way? Um, I haven't been scientific about it, like I probably should be and i know that lots are well they'll look at the last week of their tweets and look at the ones that got the most impressions and double down in that area and categorize them and all that i haven't (laughs) i've done any of that the only metric i've really paid attention to is gaining followers there um so i've gone it hasn't been anything super crazy but i've gone from i think it was like 600 to now just over seven thousand over this last year wow that's great okay this was for a while, my goal was, okay, like five, 600 new followers every month. Now, after the last couple of months, it's more like a thousand every month, as long as I'm tracking towards that, because it's, I don't know, it is just a piece of inbound referral marketing puzzle for my own business, right? Um, but beyond that, it's just, it's kind of a, a fun way to engage with the marketing and sales community and tech community as a whole. You mentioned diversification when I started asking you about Twitter. And what I've noticed in the last month is many marketers who spend a lot of time on LinkedIn have announced with much fanfare that they're now on TikTok. Do you feel that do people are tired of LinkedIn? Do you feel that maybe they're not getting as much engagement on LinkedIn? Do you feel that perhaps they feel like there's danger in being a one trick pony as someone who has Mm. diversified their social media presence. Do you have any thoughts on how marketers may be feeling these days about their ability to be in a few places as opposed to one? It's yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think it becoming a little, it feels weird to say overcrowded because there's so many people on LinkedIn. There's such a small minority that post every day, but it does feel like there's more than there used to be a couple of years ago. Um, so maybe it is harder to stand out. Um, and then the way the LinkedIn algorithm works, like typically 
folks recommend one, max two posts a day. So you have to be a little more thoughtful about what you put up. And honestly, it's sometimes it's like a crapshoot. Like one day you'll spend 30 minutes putting together a super detailed thread on how you do X, Y, Z and doesn't get that much engagement. And then the other day you'll spend 30 seconds putting out some stupid thought that you had in the shower and it like goes viral for LinkedIn. Right. Um, so that could be a piece of it. It's like a little more limiting of what you can put out. And especially as more and more people go the B2B creator route where they're actually looking to monetize this, mm-hmm. they might be looking for additional channels for audience, right? Where you can Twitter, you can do five, six, seven times. TikTok, I have no idea, but probably yeah. a lot. So that could, be, that could be a piece of it. One final question. Where can people learn about you, what you do, where can they find you on Twitter? If people want to reach out to you, where do, how can they do that? Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Real Brooke Nash is on Twitter. And then if you just search for me on LinkedIn, Brooklyn Nash. Um, although speaking of social, I just put my away message. Uh, so my wife, our new director, and I are putting together our new agency for launching in June. So I'm kind of taking a, a, a hiatus from social media the next few months from posting i'll still like jump on here and there but i'm not posting or really checking DMs. so you'll be redirected to my email address okay well good luck with that uh social media hiatus we'll see we'll see how successful you are in terms of yeah. trying to avoid the uh the racket for a while yeah we'll see well thanks for being on the podcast really appreciate it and thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of marketing spark if you enjoyed the conversation leave a review subscribe via apple Podcasts, and share via social media To learn more about how I help B2B SaaS companies as a fractional CMO, strategic advisor, and coach, send an email to mark at markevans.ca or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll talk to you soon.